Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. Hey everybody, this is James, Marco, and Nabil, and this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 20. Today we're going to be going over what we've been watching, a topic of the week is coming back here. We're going to be going over our top three favorite films, adapted from a novel or book, and then we're going to go into our main review of the Steven Spielberg film, Ready Player One. Hey guys, what you watching? Hey, so uh, what you watching? Hey, what are you guys watching? So, James, what you watching? I didn't think you were going to pick me first. Uh-oh, <laughs> no. See, we don't script this part, guys. Um, I actually have not watched too many things. That's something new. I've just been super busy. I don't know. I can make up a Wait, bunch of shit, too. Wait, time out. But, um, no deep dive into some yeah. obscure genre that you haven't watched in a while and just have to see every series of a certain franchise in that genre? No, well, I'm trying to just watch Phase Three of Marvel films right now. So no, no self torture this time. Nah, Very well, good. I don't know. It depends if you look at it that way. But um, no, I don't consider that torture. I just, <laughs> I guess I've been doing a lot of stuff, non film related. I guess. But um, yeah. So I saw two movies though within this time period. By the way, on top of that, we are recording this slightly earlier than uh-huh. our other um, podcast kind of length. So truthfully, true. Maybe if we had the extra four days, I'd have like another movie or two so you never know maybe that's it yeah next week we'll be filled with a bunch more stuff of course oh. i said that last week so i, I think i said that too <laughs> and i landed too uh regardless uh marco and i saw the horror slash thriller film unsane oh which uh, yeah was uh directed it's directed by steven soderbergh so he did um traffic aaron brockovich solaris uh, logan lucky all this stuff so um if you've never seen the trailers, just briefly um, talking about it here. It's about a young lady that has a stalker. And the Bill's like, uh-huh, okay. yes, yeah. I can relate. <laughs> and uh, basically, she's kind of not all there, and she goes in for a routine checkup, she thinks, to talk to like a psychologist or something like that. Then she signs some papers. She doesn't obviously read too well, I guess. So um, she gets submitted admitted into the uh, mental institute that she's at like quote unquote voluntarily and it's kind of her dealing with is it real is it not like is she actually crazy in a way i guess because like she thinks her stalker is there working at the hospital fun fact is this movie was filmed all completely on iphone 7 by the way my phone yep yeah and at at times you can tell is it yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so it's like that soderberg film yeah you know is, is about. the film is the first of all does it make you queasy does it the iphone no. camera actually work pretty well i heard some mixed reviews it, on that it does it does to a point in my opinion to give you that sense of almost like a captured footage in a way but yeah. not but it gives you that gritty indie kind of feel if that makes sense mm-hmm. you almost feel like you're like part of like a conversation with certain characters like they'll, they'll do these shots where they're at a desk or a cubicle and you can tell that like, they put the phone like on a stand and they're do- or, or someone's standing over and and filming them so they're they get pretty creative with their angles yeah. which which i appreciate but it at the same time it, you can kind of tell that they're not using you know standard cameras for film 
But I, I, I didn't bother. It didn't bother me too much. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, the things that bothered me though, it's um, I think the second half of the film, after kind of a big twist in a way is revealed, it just the payoff itself isn't that great anymore. I agree because I think they reveal that like halfway through the movie, and so you're, the other you're, half is kind of like, yeah, yeah you're, you're kind of. Okay, so the whole the whole thing about the movie is is that you're uncertain if uh, the the main character, um, Claire, played by Claire Foy, her name's Sawyer. You're not sure if she's really seeing her stalker or if she really does have uh, mental health problems because they they leave some ambiguous clues at the beginning of the movie prior to her being um, held in a hospital for mentally ill. And when they were when they reveal something in the middle of the movie that you're like, oh okay, um, then I was kind of hoping that they would to... say that for the end. Yeah, and they so can... you're just left with the second half of the movie that just turns into your basic generic thriller of someone just trying to escape, you know, for their um, life, and it's like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, so she's just trying to. Escape the I'm not trying to spoil it. it, it they try to wrap it up. It just doesn't wrap up nicely. No, yeah. it doesn't, and it goes on like I think an extra twenty minutes too long. Yeah, it's like completely unnecessary. Uh, the the reasons of her being held against her will and her the means that she tries to use to escape are are believable, but the fact that the staff doesn't believe her, some some of the actions that they take against her, I'm like, come on, that's totally fake. There's this one scene, and um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going on, but she, the Sawyer tries to show some of the staff something that's going on on a cell phone that's not supposed to be uh, in, like, in her hand. No one's supposed to own a cell phone in right, the hospital. Right. And she shows them something that's going on, and they the staff freaks out about the phone, but like no one is curious to see what she tried to show them. Like I would be curious. I mean, that's a normal human reaction right. to kind of look at something that's handed to you. They just sort of like chuck it aside and then like, like nah, guys, sorry, puni- punish her for it. Sorry. And, I, and like I literally like turned to James, and I'm like I'm I'm about ready to leave right now because <laughs> it's just so fake. And that that those were some of my gripes with the movie. I never the, got to that level, but I mean, yeah, there's some stupid things. It's a thriller. And, um, not a fan overall. No, nah, not really. The uh, I never really liked Sawyer that much. Truthfully, she kind of came off as super annoying. Kind of poor writing, like I said, from that half on to the end. And True. Um, I don't know. Sometimes the iPhone thing got to me a little bit. I'm like, God, this looks like shit. You yeah. know what I mean, <laughs> I did. Especially I, I kind of like shots. I'm like, it's kind of hurt my eyes. Actually, the nighttime shots, yeah, I will agree that those were kind of like strenuous on the eyes. Yeah. But like to what James was saying about Sawyer, they don't make her character that likable or that I guess like relatable. relatable. Like, I genuinely didn't care if she stayed in that hospital the rest of her fucking yeah. life. The the writing I was like <laughs> mm, okay, I guess the writing and the character development uh, was very lacking on her, and I. Uh, truthfully, I felt more for her mom. Crazy. I guess. Um, yeah. Movie made her was made for one point five million too, so yeah. it's not like it was that pricey. Well, it uh, sounds like it's a movie uh, worth skipping. <laughs> yeah, I'd say not, maybe a rent at the at very the least. Not I one mean, of I don't know. Not yeah. one of the stronger films. I yeah, you could probably like stream it if yeah, I mean if you want to check it out. Um, it's not one of Soderbergh's best. Like this is the same guy that did the movie Traffic, which is one of my favorite movies. And like, I guess like, James and I were also talking about how some of his movies are hit or miss. That's true. So, 
Yeah. They are for me, big time. Like, I love Che. Not a lot of people like Che. I liked it, too. And then I thought The Informant was shit, so... And most people agree, I think, so... Never saw that one. I thought it was funny, but that might have just been me. And <laughs> once again, a movie that runs 30 minutes yeah, too long, Yeah, pretty too. long. That was a long time. Um, what else you watching? Second movie, I watched uh, The Strangers Pray at Night. Oh, that's the <laughs> uh, horror film. Yeah, well. that's kind of a pseudo-sequel slash reboot to the 2008 one. Did you, you saw that one, right? Yes. I, I do not. Uh, every time I see that film, or even think about it, I think about the same scene, and um, I don't like that film. <laughs> yeah, this movie's totally different. So it's almost an homage to eighty slasher films, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool in a way. Um, we basically are following a family here. The biggest name actor slash actress in this movie is Christina Hendricks. Is the mom? She came from um, Mad Men, and she's done a couple little movies. And then most of the other people, there's. Uh, daughter she's going to like a boarding school because she's a piece of shit and basically <laughs> they're trying to bring her there and on the way there they're going to stop at their uncle's house right and then you know it's a trailer park hilarity ensues yeah technically it's a sequel in a way because this is taking place after the events of the first one but nothing no. is like ever linked to it though like i think they have the same truck that's the only thing from the first movie so and plus it's been t- 10 years i highly doubt this movie had a lot of um struggles getting a sequel it was first it's going to be directly related and then it's a reboot and then it's kind Which of i don't a sequel. really know why they i mean if you're gonna make a sequel they waited a long time for a horror film sequel and why force it really yeah. if it's not working out and 10 years have passed somebody yeah, really wanted it. well the first one did really well that's why yeah yeah i could have um, enjoyed the first one yeah this one though wasn't bad but i mean it's a slasher film in a way definitely slasher which i kind of liked and the two kids are technically the real leads of the movie and the brother, Luke, played by Lewis Pullman, is actually pretty cool. There's a pretty cool scene with him in a pool that happens between him and two of the killers. And uh, for the most part, it was a decent slasher slash thriller slash horror in a way. But I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't consider it like a horror film. Horror, horror. Like, it's not... I didn't think it was scary like the first one. The first right. one was generally creepy because yeah. it gives you that risk of... Um, like someone breaking in and like stalking you and not you yeah, know it was a home invasion film. This one takes place over the, the entire like trailer park, mm-hmm. so it's it doesn't work in that way that the other one was like kind of like in an enclosed area. Yeah, very isolated. Yeah, they're still in a closed area in this one, but it's a much bigger area. So yeah, in a way, it just it doesn't work as well as the previous one, but um, it was still fun though. I so would you say it's more to like the tune of like the Jason movies where they're yeah. more like oh really? I would no, say very barely any plot. plot. Like They're just the, straight to the killing. Yeah, the the plot is paper thin on this one. It's everything. It's like a Jason movie minus like the random sex acts, basically. Oh. So who who would you recommend it to? Um, if you like the first one, you might like this one. But it mm. just to give you a heads up, it's a different genre. I think this time around, a all the ones home. first one's more traditional horror. This one's like I said, like it reminded me of a slasher film. Hmm. They even do it where like they're playing like '80s songs and stuff, which is kind of cool. That's neat. Yeah, the soundtrack's really good on this one, which I didn't think. And I think the first one had no music in it. No. Right? Yeah, that's, uh, that, but that was, that that's also what tone. added to the creepiness yeah. and the tone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, basically, I'd recommend it to like horror slasher film fans. Very good. Anybody that likes a shitty one from the 80s will probably... Sounds like, like it's enjoy. right up your alley. <laughs> Maybe that's why. And, uh, yeah, that's all I've actually been watching, man. Oh. Only those two movies. Very slim. Working on another movie, but I'll reveal that one when I get done with it. Sure. No, Bill knows what it is. Mm-hmm. It's nine hours long. So. <laughs> He'll be done eventually. What about you, Marco? Yeah. What have you been watching? 
Um, I did start uh, a new show on Netflix that I actually heard about on another podcast called the Slash Filmcast. Uh, it's called Everything Sucks, um, and it was created by Ben York Jones. Um, I've only seen about three or four episodes, I think. It's like only like 10, 12 episodes, your basic Pretty short. Netflix uh, length. Um, but it uh, takes place in the 1990s, uh, and it's uh, 1990 in Oregon, uh, and it's kids who are part of a high school AV club that end up clashing with the drama club for some crazy reason. But I guess... They got beef. Yeah, I guess the drama club is different in Oregon than it was in California, because I got to tell you, I was part of the drama club in high school, and we weren't that cool. (laughs) So um, anyway, it stars uh, Jay Diallo. I think I probably botched his name, but uh, he plays Luke O'Neill. He's one of the main characters. Uh, Peyton Kennedy as Kate Messner, who's um, like his crush, basically, and that gets spoiled in the trailer, so I'm not really giving anything away. Uh, Pachadera as uh, Ken Messner, who's Kate's father and also the principal of the school. Um, Quinn Leibling as Tyler, and Elijah Stevenson as Oliver. Um, also, Rio Mangini as McQuaid. Um, so basically, the three kids, McQuaid, Tyler, and Luke, are just uh, joining the AV club. And Luke does it in order to impress Kate Messner, played by Peyton Kennedy. Um, so far, I'm liking the show. Um, there's one thing that did stick out that the uh, podcast I recommended, recommended it to me mentioned, which is that the first uh, episode is very heavy-handed in 90s references. Um, I, I went in with like low expectations on the first episode because of that. And even still all the references like surge, which was big back then, um, all the, uh, uh, quotes from the TV show, Martin, which starred, uh, Martin Lawrence back in the day. Um, just things here and there that were just kind of like, instead of being in the background, um, they're just sort of like in your face. But the performances from the kids actually makes it worthwhile. Uh, the uh, the actor who plays Luke O'Neill is actually like really good. He's a charming kid, um, and he's likable um, at first, uh, specifically because he has like a love for like film, and you know we review movies here, so you know it's really nice. relatable. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the performances are really good from everyone else from the cast. Um, I just sort of have an issue with the quote-unquote beef that the two clubs have with each other um i just i don't know like i I don't see it it's not you don't think it's real yeah me uh, yeah i don't think it's too believable but everything else from the show is pretty cool it's it's fairly light light light-hearted um but it's also like at times adult oriented because there there is cursing the show which like surprised me because i didn't expect it so it's um, a really good blend of that, like family friendly friendliness, but also like with some adult jokes in there to kind of like keep younger audiences captivated. Which is um, pretty interesting because the trailer made it look like it was pretty serious. Yeah, and, I mean they had like a couple jokes sprinkled in, but I really didn't think it was like going to be a f- 
lighthearted. It looked, looked like kind of like a 13 Reasons Why, but said in the 90s. Oh, he's like, the, yeah. Joey's own D in yeah. the bathroom. That's what right. I was yeah. thinking. Really, because <laughs> it's, it's really like Luke is the, the catalyst for everything, yeah. and it's everything that involves him affects his friends, because it's his idea to join the AV club because of his crush. It's uh, some, like... A cheap accident between him and Kate that causes the beef between the drama club, and then his two friends Tyler and McQuaid are sort of like uh, taken in the reins from these consequences, and they're actually the two comedic reliefs because they keep giving him shit about his decisions, hmm. and it's kind of funny. But when it focuses on on Luke and Kate, it's kind of a little bit more serious tone. So that's where the balance comes in. Um, but so far, four episodes in, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm still gonna ride out the other six and keep you guys updated on how I feel about it as a whole. Um, but I, I'd say right now, out of out of a ten, I'd probably rate it like a six and a half, seven around there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty decent, so give it a shot. It's on Netflix right now. Um, it was like six point five. That ain't cutting my damn nipples. <laughs> I mean, he just already like, named it. He's at the drama keep, club. Keep it's in mind, true to his name, man. He's like, keep I in need, mind, I need an eight or higher to make my Netflix queue. <laughs> I saw, I saw these episodes like super late at night once when I couldn't sleep. It's the best time to watch Netflix. So, what you sounds about? about right. Yeah. So maybe it was just me fighting, like trying to sleep and trying to stay awake to watch this. But no nostalgia. Um, <laughs> still, you know, I'd say check it out. Uh, other thing that I've been doing is uh, similar to what James also mentioned is a sort of Marvel marathon in uh, in preparation for the new Avengers Infinity War. Oh, is that coming out? Yes, it is. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Shut up. Yeah, April twenty seventh <laughs> to be exact. Except I'm not just doing the Phase Three movies. I'm actually starting all the way from the beginning with Phase One. Is <laughs> it true that you're watching all the television canon shows as well? Uh, no, I I Ooh. am <laughs> only the ultimate fan. I am that. not that self-loathing. <laughs> I'm not that self-loathing. No, I'm doing just the basic marathon of just the films. I'm not including the TV shows. You're starting you wanna... with Punisher. No. <laughs> Fuck, fuck you. Blade? <laughs> Blade? Punisher 1991, right? Yeah. Dolph Lundgren? Yeah. No, I didn't start with that one. I actually started uh, chronologically uh, according to the MCU, um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I started with Captain America first, the first Avenger, because it takes place in the 1940s. Uh, moved on to Iron Man, then Incredible Hulk, then Iron Man 2, then Thor. And I'm just now getting to the Avengers, and I've seen probably the first... 30 minutes of it and i'm doing like one or two movies like a week basically oh, shit. every day yeah <laughs> god damn no I, I watch them in intervals so i'll watch like 20 15 minutes here 30 minutes them. there you know when, when i get a chance but a little by little just sort of like pecking at like the big monster is that working for you doing it yeah. like that or is it better if you sit down you think and um, kind of watch it through i think it's better probably if you like sit down and watch it through like there are times where i'm able to watch like half of one movie and then do the other half like the next night uh though iron man 2 i did like in one full sitting because it happened to be on a weekend and you know what it's not as bad as i remember i don't think it's that bad of a movie i I think the just the villain wasn't that good but the the ending was really good yeah he's okay he's okay it connects stuff pretty well i'd say from what i remember but I, I will say this, man. Like going back and watching these movies and seeing how Marvel has evolved is is just so like rewarding and so great. Like I'm like genuinely excited to watch the rest of the movies, and it's really getting me 
into the hype. Not that I wasn't much into it anyway, because it's Infinity War that's coming up. But you notice small details here and there that like really connect everything. I, I totally forgot that the Tesseract was part of Captain America too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because it ends up being a big deal in Avengers. Well, spoilers. You know, if you haven't seen these movies, then I don't know where you've Someone's been. Like, great. The last 10 years. You start to see that, you know, some of the movies that we may have, like, judged so harshly back in the day are actually not that bad. Like, even the first Thor movie, um, there's actually a pretty decent balance with... Uh, I actually like the first one. Yeah, yeah. With, com- with the comedy and the tone. And the performances were so good that it's, it's actually... a you know, pretty good origin story as well. I mean, the the love story between him and Jane is still sort of like, you know, heavy-handed and it's like not believable, but, you know, it's something that you can overlook uh, eventually for the overarching story. It's just if you still say this for Thor 2, then it's going to be like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, the I'm, worst one. Yeah, that's... I'm not looking forward to Thor 2 and I'm not looking forward to Avengers Age of Ultron, but yeah. because I've only seen those two movies once... Oh, you might. I'll, yeah, I'll, might I'll see. I'll it, see how it yeah. is. Like all these other movies, I see them randomly, like one, two, three, four times. Um, Incredible Hulk, actually, with um, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, like Lou Ferrigno. I was <laughs> what? Lou Ferrigno. Actually, who actually does have a cameo in the movie? It does. Of course. Yeah. And uh, he was the original voice for the CG version of Hulk too. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I remember that. Paid yeah. homage to him. Um, you know what? Not not that bad. So, um, if you have time and you want to do this and kind of go down a rabbit hole, it's my first time doing something like this. I know James did that with uh, slasher horror movies Everything. a few months ago. Transformer movies. Yeah, me. the Transformer <laughs> movies. Um, I, I'm having fun, and, and I gotta tell you, I can I can see uh, why it is he does this every once in a while because it's it can be fun. You're just there. You're James, just most, waiting for the next time. It's not. It's okay, James. Can't give you a nice oh, heads. It's all gonna be okay. Hold on, wait. I'm giving him flashbacks right now. So <laughs> he's sweating here. Guys. Seven fucking pirate movies. I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't have done that one. But um, well, it sounds like you're gonna keep yourself busy for a while here. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm um, almost done with phase one, and I'll keep you guys updated with uh, my phase two. But that's all I've been watching right now. Very nice. Yeah. What about you, Nabil? What have you been watching? Um, I haven't been watching too much, but um, I was able to get a couple movies in. So. Surprise here. Uh, How the tables have turned. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, first, I saw a film on uh, Amazon Prime uh, called Killing Gunther. Um, this is starring Taron Killam. He both starred and directed this film. He's an SNL alumni. Um, it also has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it as, as Gunther, the lead character, who, fun fact, doesn't show up in the film till like 62 minutes into the movie. Spoiler alert? No. <laughs> I don't know if it's really much of a spoiler. He's on the cover, though. I know, right? Crazy. Lion sons of bitches. So it's about a group of eccentric assassins. Uh, they're pretty fed up with Gunther. Gunther is the world's greatest hitman. And so they decide to kill him. But their plans turn into a series of bungled encounters, as Gunther seems to always be pretty much one step ahead of him. Comedy? It's a comedy. It's definitely okay. it's it's set as a documentary. So uh. Taron Killam <laughs> um, plays as as the lead character, uh, the lead assassin, and he hires a bunch of other assassins to get together to try to kill Gunther, um, because Gunther, uh, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, uh, essentially slept with his girlfriend, and and now he's pissed. And he, wow. but the problem is that Gunther is the world's greatest assassin. It's like slapstick here. Uh, a little bit. Sounds it has it has quite a few SNL characters in it. But I will tell you, Taron Killam actually left SNL 
to film this movie. Would you say that was a mistake? I think the film was very funny. Yeah, I kind of think it was a mistake. He would have been fine (laughs) on SNL um, and found another way to do this in between. But it is it is surprisingly funny. If you like kind of the slapstick, there's um, there's one character who's a uh, demolitions expert who um, is very good at making bombs and also is very stupid and ends up trying to blow up everything that he can, which is pretty funny. He's red from Tropic Thunder. He's he's basically <laughs> even funnier version of that. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, this sounds exactly like a character I know. So, um, my God, this damn movie. It's it's not long. It's like an hour and a half, I think. Is it um, worth it though? I, it's worth a watch on streaming. Um, so I'd say to watch it on Amazon, um, especially if you're just looking for something that's silly. They they don't take itself serious. The documentary aspect of it really helps because he's essentially. Uh, Took like, captive these documentarians to do this for them, and they can't leave uh, until the job's done. It's like, it sounds oh, like like shit. pop star. Is that how it is? Kind of like a docu- kinda, documentary. Kind of, kind of that style. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I've uh, added it to my queue, so I will probably check it out. So uh, that really helps amp up the funniness on on exactly what's going on, hmm. um, and seeing them fail so often and not the way they fail, you don't expect it a lot of the times, which I think makes it funnier because it's like, what the hell. Why you know you they build it up like everything's on plan and then all of a sudden something cra- the, the you know Gunther does something that you just don't expect him to do and <laughs> it just becomes funny. Get so, down! Yeah, I'm sorry. He did. He and you know there there is a chopper in the film. So get to the chopper. <laughs> nice. That was one of the films I saw. The other one I saw, um, which I don't think James has figured out what I've seen. Um, I don't know. Is uh, is one I randomly watched in the theater recently, um, called Hurricane oh, Heist. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I was like, I knew it as soon as you said it because I was like, I saw your mom watched it. I was yeah, like, shit. Super <laughs> random. I watched it with my mother. She wanted to go see a film, and we randomly saw. She just said, "Let's just watch this." Very weird. But I like, we can read the. Yeah, I mean, I kind of looked at it. I was like, "This film's gonna be crap." And <laughs> let me tell you, wasn't the best film. But it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Did it come be. out of nowhere, by the way? It too. did. It came out of nowhere. I saw ads for this a week prior yeah. to the release. Just all of a sudden, and then I thought it was one of those like video on demand movies, and then it's like it's coming to no. theaters. In theaters, Jesus. still in theaters, mind you. Um, I don't even and I watched it like two, it, three weeks ago. So I, I wouldn't expect you had. So this is the pri- the the premise again. It's called Hurricane Heist. There are thieves. They attempt a massive heist against the U.S. Treasury. During a hurricane. During, during a hurricane. Yeah, hurricane. During a hurricane. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly the premise. And let me tell you, they stay true to that premise. It's, <laughs> How did this get green? I have no idea. But what they do is, so they're essentially in the small town. <laughs> they know a hurricane's coming. The police make some emergency evacuation. Whoever these thieves are decide to go. There's a mint there. So they're going to the mint to kind break of, in okay. and steal it. it kinda, right? No lie. Kinda, it does make sense, though. Right? So they're like, we're going to break into this place. Jeez. So they go and they start robbing the mint. And then um, they don't have a passcode to unlock a certain safe. So of course not. So somebody's coming up. To, they have to find this person who's involved who changed the password on them because she knew that something was going on. That's Maggie Grace, who's that character who changed the passcode. And so they're trying to find him. But there's also these two brothers. One works for, as a meteorologist. What the other the one f- is a local mechanic. Uh, Sorry, did this come out in 1996? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> who are also <laughs> causing problems for these... Uh, High-end assassins and thieves um, who are trying to just get this girl to, to get into uh, to the mint. What's like the quality of the film? 
So does it look VOD? It, no, it doesn't. Oh. It does. It, but it could easily pass as a TV movie. But the production quality is just that, just good enough to say, oh, I can is see it, it in the theater. CW good? Is that what yeah, <laughs> CW good. Wow, shit. And you know what's funny is that the whole time the movie's playing, everything that happens, it's like I could see that happening. It seems relatable up until the very end. How it ends, it just ends so abruptly. I'm like. Every, it just seemed weird because they kept on telling the whole time like okay I, there were scenes you, you, where you were robbing <laughs> listen they mean you could actually see yourself robbing yeah, the, the US Treasury it's during awesome a fucking weird. hurricane well, was that relatable there were scenes where they're trying to kidnap these you know they finally corner some of the guys and they're about to pick them up and take them back to the mint to get the oh code God. and then all of a sudden you forgot you're in a hurricane the whole place just floods and people are just like dying left and right boats are coming up and people only, are killing them i can only imagine what's the thing that's not relatable or not <laughs> quote-unquote realistic i can only try to imagine scene. the meaning <laughs> trying to greenlit this project it's a heist that's been done already against the u.s treasury done already so during a hurricane that's fuck that was it right there here's the money <laughs> film this fucker right now I'm just like, does the car get lifted by the hurricane at the end? It spins around. It's, it's does he quote unquote ride that bitch? Because I swear to God, if he does, no one better ever say the Transformers isn't realistic. I have no idea how this one got made. It came out of nowhere, like you said. So, would you um, would you recommend it to anyone? Well, I watched it with my movie pass, so I would recommend it if you're gonna pay and not pay a dime for it. But I can tell you, I was. I was much more, uh, much less disappointed than I thought it was going to be. It's actually Did better. Did your mom funny. like it? She enjoyed it, too. Oh, man. This sounds like a movie my mom would like, actually. Yeah, probably. I'm not going to lie. It is definitely oh, in the man. guise of those old, like, uh, Strike Force Team 9 kind oh, of, yeah. That's, it you know, like it, TV movies with just that better quality of production. The Delta Force part the 6. The Delta Force stuff. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, that's what I've been watching. Wow. Awesome. Let's go into our topic of the week. It's the topic of the week. Okay, right, so our topic this week, kind of going with a Ready Player One vibe here. We, I wanted to know. I know we haven't done. We actually haven't had a traditional topic in a while. But this one here is going to be: uh, What are your top three favorite films that are adapted from a novel slash book? So no comic books, no ch- um, children picture stories, I guess. Uh, Nabil's changing his answer. I know. Um, <laughs> no coloring And also, books. you have to have read the book. You can't just be like, I've heard it's a good book. I read and the back cover. Yeah. Is that enough? I read two <laughs> chapters. I, I, I opened it. I saw the inside cover. He's like, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. I know so, who the fucking author is. Okay. We're going to start with our three, two, ones. We'll go down from there. Kind of see what our opinions are on a couple things here. And let us know if you agree with us or not. Hit us back up on our Twitter account. On our Facebook post, something we will post the topic as well because uh, we have once again we haven't done that in a while because we haven't had a topic. Kind of got all into this Oscar shit, so <laughs> in a minute, yeah. All right, so my number three movie here of a movie based on a novel slash book is Apocalypse Now, nineteen seventy nine. It's based on the novella Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, released in nineteen o two. This movie is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, best nice. known for The Godfather and uh, The Conversation. Uh, basically, the re- this movie, just a brief description, it's about a captain in the U.S. government, basically. I don't, I'm not sure if he's an army or Marines, but he's Marines. he is tasked with going upriver in Vietnam to take out a rogue general, uh, Colonel uh, Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando. 
And basically, he experiences the horrors of war and slash Vietnam through um, the adventures he gets in for the week or two that he's traveling up river, basically, because he finally finds the quote-unquote heart of darkness, in a way. So, the book is very similar to it as well, but it takes it's not set during Vietnam. It's also about a person on a journey going upriver to kill a rogue general. Uh... Both have very similar themes to it. The horrors of war and the horrors of isolation and what it does to a person. Um, the reason why I like this one is that I think it's a really good adaptation of a story. It doesn't follow it through and through, but it gets the basic themes of it down, which are pretty common a lot of times when trying to adapt a novel to a cinematic kind of experience. So Yeah, sometimes it's just hard to like recreate an entire like sequence in a book. Or maybe you don't have the budget to recreate a certain sequence. Yeah, or, or the director or, wants to use their own kind of a... Yeah. Like, this is my vision of how the story could be told in 1970 instead of 1902. Yeah, true. Solid acting. Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando. We get fat Marlon Brando. No, not fat Marlon no, Brando. Well, uh, Almost getting fat Marlon Brando in this one. Sorry. Not fat shit. You're thinking of Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where he just showed up seven hours late every day. Yeah. This is where he definitely was already starting with a, the food issue. Or drugs. So, um, or both. <laughs> a combination of both. <laughs> I, I like the blueberry pancakes. The, the movie, did, did you watch the original or the um, Apocalypse Now Redux? I've seen both, so it doesn't either one. It doesn't matter for me. Redux, okay. I think, adds a few scenes. It runs a little yeah. bit too long, though, in my opinion. But um, just as a movie in a whole, that's a great movie. It's not super action-packed. It's more of like a journey into man's psyche and... The yeah. kind of, like I said, the horrors of war and the, the things he experiences, yeah. The horror. And that is uh, my number three movie. Uh, what about you, Nabil? Number three. Well, it was a film, it was a book that I read. One of one of the first uh, books that I can remember reading as a kid um, that I really enjoyed. It was a fantasy book, and I'm sure many of you guys have read it. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Nice. Yeah. Turkish um, Delights. Yeah. <laughs> it's mm. Turkish Delights. Yeah. 1950 book uh, written by C.S. Lewis. Um, of course, they uh, adapted it finally into a movie in 2005 uh, with Tilda uh, Swinton, Swindon playing the White Witch. Um, it was directed by Andrew Adamson. Um, and the general premise, there's four kids who... Um, come from the same family they have to leave their town because there's set in world war ii and there's bombings going around over there um some woman and a professor essentially take them into their home um and while the kids are playing hide and seek in the home they find a wardrobe and it takes them to this magical place called narnia um and after going in a couple times they start battling animals and wolves and they find like the white witch and a magical lion or magnificent lion called aslan um, and a lot of a lot of other things happen from that story. I can tell you, I like the book a lot because there was just there's there's a lot of fantasy. It's a lot of escapism, saying you're going from the real world and then going into some other world where they essentially the, the kids are deemed as what royalty um, in the world and yeah. you know they they, had, they come from nothing yeah and they come as heroes and yep. they're prophesized to be doing greater things for Narnia um, and. Also, I think out of the three Chronicles of Narnia uh, books that they made, uh, uh, movies that they made, um, this was the most closely adapted one, and probably the um, yeah. and and honestly the best one I think out of the three. The other two was Prince Caspian and Dawn of the Voyage 
Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The Dawn Treader. I always confuse the name. Um, That's easily the worst one. Yeah, definitely the worst one. Um, And the books as a whole are really good, but um, I think that this was probably the best adapted one, so I did enjoy that. I agree. Yep. A lot of good nostalgia in that movie. And what's your number three, Marco? Uh, My number three is also a book I read a long time ago. In the galaxy far, far away. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I did read it a long time ago. I read it uh, prior to the movie adaptation coming out, and that was Jurassic Park. Oh, nice. And uh, written by the late Michael Crichton, uh, and the movie was directed by Steven Spielberg, also director of Ready Player One. Um, Tie-in. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But uh, essentially, the story is basically the same about a... Uh, rich millionaire named John Hammond who figures out a way to clone dinosaurs and put them on an island off the coast of Costa Rica and um, make a park named Jurassic Park out of it. And prior to its opening, he gathers a group of uh, archaeologists and uh, a mathematician to and an attorney to come check out the park and give it the okay before it opens. And in um, both the book and the movie, uh, shit gets out of hand and um, everything just goes haywire and the dinosaurs run amok. Essentially, um, the main sort of outline of the book remains true in the movie. Um, And the reason I like... The movie is just because of like how impactful and like visionary it was, even though it does a lot of changes to yeah. the book. Like for for instance, they really paint uh, John Hammond as a saint in the movie version that he really cares about like children all over the world and wants everybody, even like the poorest of the poor, to visit his park. No, he's a fucking money grabber in the film, and he is a ruthless bastard. Um, in the book, you mean? Yeah, yeah, he's very greedy in the book. He's not as like not to an extent, but he's he's definitely not like a saint in the book. Um, it, the the two kids they swap roles. Uh, Tim is the oldest one in the book, and Lex is the youngest one. Uh, Lex is kind of like more of a like a kid, a cool kid, and uh, Tim is actually the one that's a computer whiz, and he's also still in, into um, dinosaurs. Uh, Dr. Grant is a lot older um, in the book as well, um, and Ellie Sadler is a lot younger than him, and um, they actually are a couple in the book as so, well too. It, why do you uh, why do you like it though? Why is that your um, really? I, I like it because the first time we really see a, like sort of a a good version. I don't want to say realistic version of dinosaurs, but a really good version of dinosaurs on screen. Like, it, Steven Spielberg really pushes the limit, and although he made a lot of dramatic changes to the book, it still keeps a lot of the themes and where, like, the hubris of, like, creation and what to do with, uh, with like, such power as well, too, because both of them uh, discuss uh, those themes. And even um, Ian Malcolm's mention of chaos theory, although very short and narrow in the movie, was more expanded on in the book, um, that sort of like a uh, theme of how you know anything that can happen will happen like occurs during the movie but the, the themes are relatively the same which is what i like it but the visuals are very stunning on the movie and like the, the overall story um is still very like compelling and something that's like 
interesting that draws an audience to like watch the movie. Like I could put that thing on like today and you oh, know yeah, still enjoy it. it. Yeah. Uh, I think that like Steven Spielberg really pushed the bar with the movie and I you know, I, I enjoyed it. I had my qualms with it when I first saw it because there were so many differences, but I'll tell you what, it's not as bad as The Lost World because <laughs> that one really stung me. But anyway, um, yeah, that's that's and that's also why it's my number three because there were a lot of changes to it and it's not too closely to the book, but I think there's enough in there to kind of keep it true to the story. Nice. Uh, moving on to number twos here. Um, for mine... Just per se, I really like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It's a good one. 2005 film uh, based on the Goblet of Fire by J.K. Rowling. Uh, came out in 2000. This one is directed by uh, Mike Newell. He did Four Weddings and a Funeral in uh, Donnie Brasco, which is kind of random. Yeah. And then he, they're like, here's Harry Potter. Um, it's Harry Potter. I'm not going to go over it. If you don't <laughs> know who Harry Potter is, he's a wizard that goes to a wizard school and shit happens. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was quoted as, you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> that's his Hagrid, Hagrid. <laughs> then he blinked at him twice it's like yeah uh, this one is about roughly I guess I will tell about it basically there's a the Triwizard Tournament comes back and it's a tournament between the uh, wizarding schools and it hasn't happened in a long time and because of the coming of the um, kind of like a prophecy that Voldemort's coming back basically they're trying to raise everyone's spirits by having a Triwizard Tournament so basically this is one of my favorite books in the series. I think this is where it gets really dark with the film itself. Especially it really sets the t- I mean, it sets the tone for the future for films. Have the rest of them, for yeah. sure. Like, especially how it ends. It's like, oh, now this is where we're going. Yeah. Like, it's here. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is pretty dark, too, especially with the reveal of certain things that happened in that one. Yeah. But with The Goblet of Fire, I liked it a lot because it does bring out the other two or three schools, I want to say. I think it's two other schools. Yeah. And it shows you that it's not just in... Like this random place in yeah. England. It's, it's a whole also world. like the world has it, like Spain and yeah. um, all these other spots. And it's I don't know. I liked it a lot. It has, like I said, it. it I think for me, it's because the change of tone in that one. Uh, it also follows the book fairly well. All the other ones, just like just like Jurassic Park, I guess it, they take liberties with it because the movies are what two and a half hours long. Yeah, yeah, and pretty large books to a point. And there's also a lot of subplots in each book that obviously you can't cover in a movie or it wouldn't make too much sense especially with pacing but i would say the goblet of fire is one of the ones that gets it pretty close especially with the events themselves leading into the final event and the maze and what eventually happens but overall i liked it too and i I like that in this one you actually start seeing between like hermione and ron that there's something going on I've always liked that whole romance between those characters really? through all seven films. I, n- I never caught that as when I when I saw the the movie the first time. I haven't yes. seen it in a while. Yes. Did you make it to Goblet of Fire? Mm, the fourth yes. ones. Yes. So if okay. You made yes. It to yes. Four I did. Of them, yes, I did. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a yeah, huge it's, moment. It's a one. pretty big <laughs> connection with that. Where they um that's when you start realizing it's like oh it's not gonna be Harry. So oh well, in Goblet of Fire, yeah, oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about the like the first first movie. No. No. Goblet of Fire. So oh, okay. from Goblet of Fire going forward, it starts developing even more, in which I've always liked, actually. So it's kind of like the the good guy finally gets one, I guess. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, but that is my number two. What about you, Nibu? Uh My number two is The Great Gatsby. It's uh, written in 1925 by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, 
there have been uh, many film adaptations for it. Um, I think there's a total of four. One in uh, 26, actually, 1926, 1949. 1974, and the most recent is 2013. For the movies, the two that I like the most is the uh, 2013 one and the 1974 one. Um, and I like them both for d different ways on how they adapt the, the book. Um, so the story itself is uh, it's, it's, it's set in Long Island, um, and it's about this Midwesterner named Nick Carraway. In the 2013 version, it's uh, starring uh, Tobey Maguire as that character. Um, he's lured into this lavish world of his uh, neighbor, Jay Gatsby. And again, 2013 film is played by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. The 76 one is starring Robert Redford. Um, and soon enough, however, Carraway will see through the cracks of Gatsby's uh, kind of rich existence. Um, and he kind of starts seeing Gatsby kind of get over-obsessive. He's a little crazy. There's obviously tragedy that happens at the end of the film. Um, so... For the 74 Great Gatsby, what I think they do very well in this is they get the kind of overall tone. They get the character right. Um, I think the way Robert Redford is being played um, when he plays Jay is that he can show that the guy's really trying to impress him, but he doesn't seem like he's uh, overly kind of eager. He's he's very subtle, and it gets. I think it matches the book a lot more with the tone of what you're reading versus the character that's on screen. Um, so you kind of start feeling for him more and you don't think he's so crazy until, you know, things start ramping up really at the end. Um, what I like about the 2013 one more is the style of it. In the book, it shows that Leonardo DiCaprio's version of J. Uh, Gatsby is, you know, outlandish, over the top, you know, everybody wants to be there, like it's the place you want to be. Yeah, they nail it with the yeah. 2013 one. They really, like, set that tone very well. I think they, the character seems a little bit too needy um, in comparison to Redford's character in, in his 74 film. Um, but I think they definitely set kind of the tone of the era and what the character was trying to portray um, much better. Um, if you've never read Gatsby, a lot of people have read it in school, or have, you know, there's like I said, there's four different movies, so I'm sure you've seen one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the big things about it is that the idea of a guy who, for some reason, comes from nothing and then all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and it's just wealthy and rich and everybody American, loves him, everybody kind of knows the American him. Dream kind yeah, of kind of the American dream. Yeah. Um, but all that doesn't mean anything to him. He wants the love of a girl. He's after and he's trying to get her and he's going to do whatever he can. And at the end, all that work is for nothing. Um, and he does it to himself. Um, and so that that right there, I think, is shown much better in the 2013 film with uh, with how they show the lifestyle. But again, I think that the way they kind of show the characters, because obviously 74, it's not going to have like over-the-top graphics and the set pieces are no. not going to be like what well, it is now, but the, it's still set the director well. of 2013, he did what, Moulin Rouge? Oh yeah, he? so he did Moulin Rouge as well. And it's almost a musical in a way. Kind of, yeah. Almost. It's almost set with, with the exception of they don't actually sing. They basically build up every some, big scene into yeah. the singing part. Soundtrack's great for that one. Yeah. Though. So um, yeah, the Great Gatsby I think was a was a great. Uh, those two movies together make a really good adaptation, and and twenty thirteen really sets it good for the modern era um, to kind of show and over you know over stylize um, the twenties. Yeah. Uh, what up? about you, Marco? Uh, my number two is a uh, classic novel, and I guess sort of an older movie as well too. But it's uh, John Steinbeck's of Mice and Men. Nice. And I'm um, sort of basing it off the 1992 movie, 
starring uh, Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. And it was actually uh, directed by Gary Sinise, which, yeah. strangely enough, I never really knew. But essentially, the story is about uh, two migrant field workers, um, one named George Milton and the other named uh, Lenny Small. Um, and uh, they're essentially in Soledad, California, on their way to another part of California. They um, they get hired uh, to be farmhands, but essentially hope to uh, attain uh, their own land and become uh, ranch owners the, themselves. And uh, what, what, one of the reasons I really like the movie is because I think that uh, Gary Sinise and John Malkovich really imbue these characters and um, like they really portray them very closely to the book as well. Like whenever it's weird because when um, when I was in school and even after when I read like the book uh, later on on my own, I would always just picture Gary Sinise and John Malkovich as the characters. Um, and when we ended up watching like the movie as well, like it was no shocker to me that those were the people that were selected because it just felt more natural. And the fact that um, Gary Sinise did an excellent job at keeping it very close to the book as well. Um, I think there's just like a few like minor changes here and there. Like I think the, be- the beginning of the movie, I think more or less stars as a flashback of um, Gary Sinise's character remembering John Malkovich's character. <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they start to work on the ranch and essentially um, wind up in trouble because Lenny has problems with um, not knowing his own strength. He likes to pet animals and then essentially kills them. He ends up killing like a puppy in uh, the movie and the book and also accidentally kills uh, Curly's wife. And that's when things start to really unravel and their problems like start to like really like get in the way of their dreams. And that's the whole real theme of both the book and the movie that I think they carry so well is that, you know, the universe is a big place. We're tiny humans on this rock and we may have these big dreams, but at some point in our life, we may not achieve them. There will be obstacles in the way and some that we may not be able to like overcome and, and surpass. And I think that both the book and the movie like capture that feeling so well, which is why it's like one of my favorites. Nice. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our number ones here. Uh, my number one, I chose the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Came out in 2001. It's based on the Lord of the Rings, of course. Uh, came out in 1954. That is, uh, oh, sorry, and also written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh. Uh, directed by Peter Jackson. He did uh, King Kong, Frighteners, Lovely Bones. And um, Lord of the Rings is about a fellowship of people from Middle Earth, including uh, such creatures as hobbits, elves, dwarves, and they need to take a ring that can make you invisible and also control the entire goddamn world into a mountain called Mount Doom and toss it in there. Sounds like it'd be pretty easy, but... Um, <laughs> it uh, takes 12 hours. One of the eagles, hours guys. Of, yeah. Those eagles, right? Well, I'll tell you right now why they didn't use the eagles, because the Eye of Sauron would have seen them, <laughs> Nabil, and they would have shot them down immediately. Not you gotta right. go in secretly. The eagles can do not, it. Not only that, those eagles... They're their own people, all right? They are not the taxi service or the Lyft or Uber of the yeah, freaking Hobbits, middle, okay? Middle Earth, sir. 
Shit, they didn't hit him a solid by taking him back at the end. Okay, <laughs> yeah, could have left him there. Like, all right, thanks for helping They're us. Like, but we can also, fly away. It's not our war. <laughs> also, see you in like twelve months again. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, fantastic movie. This oh, yeah. was probably one of the first fantasy films adapted on screen, uh, based on a novel or book that I think really nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't have Tom Bombadil, but outside of that, I think the entire story itself is so close to the books. Peter Jackson did really well, especially if you watch the extended cut of this one. Uh, the reason why I chose the first one, I could have, I guess I could have said like the entire trilogy because I do like the whole trilogy. Uh, but the first one has that sense of like hope that I really like about like getting the crew together and it's yeah. like, let's do this, bro. And, um, it starts off, it's such an epic journey by the end of these three films. Like Marco said, it, it is literally like 12 hours long total with everything all together, especially extended cuts. And you grow, you learn, you start to like really like these characters. And I think, like I said, this is probably the best adaptation I've seen of something I read. This got me into wanting to read the entire thing. I had read like the first one right before the Fellowship of the Ring came out. Same. And then right after that, I jumped right into Two Towers and then Return of the King and then... Uh, I read the Hobbit books beforehand, and mm-hmm. then I even jumped into like the Silmarillion and stuff, and then that was a downward spiral. So <laughs> never ended. Yeah, I was like, more Lord of the Rings. Tell me about the other rings that we don't see. Um, James was locked in his room shirtless. Pretty much, man. That book's <laughs> huge. All three combined. But yeah, fantastic one. It set up a lot of kind of copycats afterwards too. But oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a ton of plenty of them. Fucking terrible fantasy films after that. Ask Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> fuck. But outside of that, great movie. A uh, great little story about friendship and brotherhood, and um, um, one that I've seen quite a few times. So, yeah. All right, and about what's your number one? My number one is um, a film that actually first my first actual Sean Connery film that I've seen. Um, it was the first one I ever seen, and also um, the first time I actually w- realized I was into political thrillers. Russia House? No. <laughs> <laughs> close. When I say close, Russia's in it. The Hunt for Red October. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. so yeah. good. Such a good movie. So good. Submarines. Yeah, Who knew submarines could be fascinating? So yeah, I've seen it. I just never read the book. Yeah. Um, Nearby. It's it's actually yeah the book is what Tom got me into Tom Clancy right? yeah. uh, series. So yeah, Hunt for Red October. Written in 1984 um, by Tom Clancy. Um, the movie, The Hunt for Red October, was in 1990, starring Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin. Um, directed by John McTiernan, the guy who directed Die Hard. Oh, nice. Um, so there's some action in there, right? Yeah. There's no action. It's all political. <laughs> no, it's a lot of red lights. Uh, it's a, a lot, lot of red, light. red lights. So they're on the hunt for this submarine called Red October. And um, what it is is that Sean Connery's character... I think it's Marco Ramius, is, I'm going to say is how it's pronounced. He's the captain of this new nuclear sub from Russia, and he's essentially taking it out on a test run, doing some drills and maneuvers. He's taking it from Russia with love. He Sorry. really is. He is taking it Sorry. from Russia because he decides um, Jack Ryan, um, which is Alec Baldwin's character, believes that uh, the Marco, Sean Connery's character, is going to... Me. That's you. Is going to defect. And so... He's trying to convince the Navy and the Russians because somehow, for some reason, this submarine is getting closer to U.S. soil, and Russia's trying to shoot it down because they're like, oh, no, he's defecting. And the Americans are like, he's got a nuclear sub. He's going to kill does it. Does Sean Connery have a Russian accent in this one? Yes, he does. He does. I, he okay, does. I remember yes. this. 
And um, so I, no, I remember I was like, ooh. Yeah, he's, he's got trying, a very, very trying. deep uh, accent he's is trying Sam to work with. Is Sam Neill in this movie? Yeah, he is, actually. He's the, he's the captain um, of the extra submarine um, who uh, Sean Connery, I won't spoil it too much, um, finds a way to take over um, command of the ship from him. Um, okay. Yeah, he uses his rank or something like that to supersede command. Yeah. And then, like, he doesn't really, like, tell them too much of the, of the details. Yeah. yeah. So, w- what the what the thing is, is uh, the book itself, um, a Tom Clancy novel, if you've ever read one, is very militaristic. Dry. Very dry. Yeah. Very detailed on stuff that unless you were in the military working in that specific field, have no idea what they're talking about half the time. A lot of description, yeah. Yeah, he goes into a lot of detail. What I like about the movie and the way they adapted it um, from the book is that they don't go into detail for a lot of things, but it's also kind of heavy on just, like, politics. And they just keep to that tone where it's all about the dialogue. There's obviously action. You're trying to see what they're doing but uh, and how they're portraying themselves in the tense moments. But there's a lot of twists. And you don't really see it coming because you don't know what side Sean Connery really is until the end. You want to believe Jack Ryan and think that he's right because he's the star of the film. But you also don't know if you can trust Sean Connery's character. So you're like, maybe he is a bad guy. Maybe he's a good guy. Who are we supposed to believe? And um, they kind of keep up with that political tone. And, of course, there's got to be scenes where they're in the Pentagon discussing this or in Russia <laughs> discussing this. <laughs> and it's, it's it at the height of the Cold War, too. Oh, yeah. So, like, you're, you're like, man, are they going to go, like... And nuke each other or yeah and they like find that. a really good way to keep things tense which in the book they do as well it, once you get through all the description like it, it gets very tense you're like oh no what's happening what's the next page you know you want to keep going which is what a lot of tom clancy's books do um and i think they did a really good well uh job of not having to try to make it overly overt in action and they kind of just kept it in a political tone and i think it's one tone and i think it's one of his um earlier movies that got adapted um, for the Jack Ryan series that um, I think was a really good way to set that tone. And they did well with some other films afterwards, like uh, Clear and Present Danger, and um, uh, they did two other films. I can't remember the other Harrison Ford film. The Patriot Games. The Patriot yeah, Games, Patriot that's Man. the one. The but when they fears, go into some, some all, all fears, fears with, uh... Bad Dave. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Not Bad Dave, when sorry. When they, Matt, or uh, what was the reboot? Um, Shadow Force? Well, I sort of got it Shadow something? No, I think it's just called Jack Ryan. Shadow Recruit. Shadow Recruit. Sorry, that's what see? it was. See? Yeah. Look at you. I'm talking about With the other Chris. Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah they've... And now... Um, and now they did a TV show. With which Sean looks like it's going to be interesting. Krasinski, yeah. yeah. It looks pretty good. Um, the, the last two films weren't so good. Um, they kind of tried to make it more action, and I think that's what took away from it. And the movie... The TV show looks like it might be the same case, to be honest, but we'll see what happens with that. But those earlier movies um, really stuck true to the books, I think, and kind of kept it more political and military espionage. Nice. Uh, what about you, Marco? My number one is uh, a fairly new movie, actually, but it's an older book. It's uh, Steaming King's It. And I like the adaptation of the 2017 movie that came out, even though, slightly spoiler alert, it's only technically half the book really right. and they're gonna do uh the other half um it this year doesn't it no no next, year, next year yeah um <clears throat> but essentially like, this the story is basically the same it's about seven children uh that are terrorized by an entity that exploits the fears and phobias of its victims uh to disguise itself while hunting its prey and they mainly refer to it 
as it. Uh, it also um, primarily takes the form of a clown by the name of Pennywise, the dancing clown. I saw both uh, the 90s movie and and the new one, and uh, although the 90s one with Tim Curry um, holds like a place in my heart, I do enjoy the newer one that we also did a podcast episode for. And here. the old one, too. Yeah. Yeah, and the old one, yeah. as well. Um, but I I do enjoy the, the newer one a lot more, and it's directed by Andy uh, Muschietti. Uh, I like how it, it just keeps the ominous presence of it throughout the entire movie. Like, I never really felt that in the original movie, and that's something that you feel as... You read the as you read the book. Um, it also holds a lot truer to uh, the characters in the movie, and um, it keeps their uh, their backstories more true to the book. A bit, a little more modernized, and they skip a lot of the the details. But really, you don't even get that much detail from the '90s movie because it blends both parts of the book all in one. Because ba- basically, the, the the book uh, goes back and forth between the years 1958 and 1985, and you get flashbacks of the main characters as kids and them as adults. And what they did for the newer version is rather than do that, they split up the stories from the past and the future. And, of course, they modernized it because the, the past is now in 1989 versus 1958 in the book. Um, however, like many of the details are, are still the same. The experiences that they, the kids delve, even with uh, the bullies that they face, uh, mainly with Henry Bowers, a lot of the stuff that uh, uh, their interactions that occur between those two are a lot more similar to the book. Overall, uh, the, the character of Pennywise, I think, is is gone down like 100%. Like you're really like terrified of this character. Um, throughout the entire movie, just like you are in the book, because even though there's like a lot of detail in the book, like every once in a while, like there's like a subtle mention or some weird thing that happens in the book that gives you like the inkling that oh, that's like something that probably Pennywise had something had something <laughs> to do had something to do with. But uh, it it just really gives that thrilling feeling of of the book that I just don't think that the '90s movie really hit so yeah that's that's my number one i highly recommend both very nice nice yeah i'm uh currently reading it right now as well all right guys let's move on to our main review here of ready player one this is the oasis a whole virtual universe you can do anything be anyone without going anywhere at all the Oasis was created by James Halliday, and what he left behind changed everything. A contest. Three impossible challenges. The first to finish gets complete control of the Oasis, which means complete control of the future. Contest has got to be about connecting with someone, connecting with the world. So we take it together? Sure. All right, so the IMDb description of Ready Player One is when the creator of a virtual reality world called the Oasis dies. He releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg. 
which will give the finder his fortune. Directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Ty Sheridan as Parcival slash Wade, Olivia Cook as Artemis slash Samantha, Ben Mendelsohn as Sorrento, and Mark Rylance as Halliday. A uh, quick thing here, guys. Did you uh, guys like it? Quick yay or nay, Marco? A uh, yay. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I felt that it kept um, the majority of the spirit of the book. Um, I enjoyed the performances of the characters, um, even though there were slight changes to some of them, and I'll get to that when we start the review. But um, overall, uh, the the theme and the message, I think that Spielberg really like tried to showcase that in uh, the movie as well. Um, the obviously the, the book goes into a little more detail, but I, I the visual effects were really cool. The uh, homages to all the pop culture was also very cool, even though not all of it could be fit into the movie. Or, um, Disclaimer: We all three of us have read the book, by the way. Yes, we have. Just to give everyone a heads up, but. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I'd actually go see it again. Not gonna lie. Uh, what about you, Nabo? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, there were there were some stuff that they took out from the book, definitely for uh, time and continuity. For you know, just couldn't be adapted. Yeah. But um, I thought it was. I thought the uh, graphics were great. CG was amazing. Uh, the way Steven Spielberg um, tried to tell this story um, was was different from from overall from um, what the book was trying to do. But I think he did. I think what I liked the most about this film was that it is a very Steven Spielberg film, like 90 Spielberg from start yes. to finish. And I enjoyed that. And I like, especially how it ended. Um, especially after seeing the post, right? Yes. Especially after seeing the post. Um, I was, I, I really liked that he kind of, him came back full circle to what he um, was originally known for an adventure film that was wholesome and family oriented, but any, anybody kid to, or adult could enjoy it. Yeah. I, uh, I agree. I liked it too. Overall, uh, quite a few changes from the novel, but obviously, like we said, can't fit all that in. It's almost like we know why the post was so boring now. It's yeah. all this energy into this movie. Time in that. <laughs> um, I love the cameos. Um, it still has the main storyline from the yeah. book for the most part. Yeah. Um, I think they made um, Parcival um, not as interesting, though, no. for me here. Yeah, that was what I was going I with. wish they had developed his character a little bit better in this one. I only knew more about him because we've read the books. Mm-hmm. But I wish Same. they had dove into that a little more. So I guess I, I'm jumping into kind of what he, it didn't he, work for me. Yeah, the um, the fact that you know he actually is self-taught for the most part is only subtly they, mentioned, or or you subtly see it yeah. in the movie versus in the book. Like you're saying, you you get you get an entire chapter of like why it is he knows so much. Oh yeah, definitely that. Uh, meanwhile, though, I think Artemis has a better storyline in this one, Overall. with giving her more of a background in like the rebellion, and which is, you know, added I guess into yeah. this. Um, she's not just kind of like a figure token of his desire, yeah. as in the novel. She's pretty poorly written in the novel, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, she's much better written in this one, and um, I just that thing. Overall, just what didn't work for me with this one. I thought, it would, regardless, I think it's a fun film. It's super fun. It reminds me of Spielberg, like you said, of the 90s, 80s, kind of like adventurous. And it's almost like it's strange that it's an older gentleman making this film. It looks seems like it's a younger guy making it. Yeah. But it works. It works really well. But the, what didn't work was just I wish the character development was just a little bit better on this one. It seems because of the format of how it's made is they kind of go from action to action pretty quick. And I'd say that the development of their characters was probably the weakest point of me. 
I agree. I think that's, and I think that has to go with um, the lack of spending as much time in the real world than they did in the virtual world. Like yeah. the time that they spent in the virtual world was great, um, and yeah, they they did take away some of um, some certain aspects of the challenges and and how they got the uh, keys and everything. But um, the real world, I think, is what really stalled the development of the characters, and um, ex- especially Parzival because his storyline and development. Um, was a lot of it was growth in the real world because when you see him in the virtual world, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the background is that he's pretty much a loner. He has his one friend, um, but everything else is kind of like Marco was saying. He builds up to the knowledge and skill because he just doesn't connect with anybody. And they don't really show that too much in the real world. They try to hint at it, but um, they do that little narration at the beginning about, oh, five years, and this was what happens. They kind of just gloss over five years, yeah. and here we are today, and, and and just jump forward. And there were some big scenes that I think that I enjoyed in the book that didn't uh, that happened in the real world um, that um, I don't think was able to get adapted to. And we can talk about that in spoilers. But I think that kind of took away from his development overall as well. Uh, I, I agree. I think also one of the things that the movie kind of lacked in was the uh, development of the actual world itself because you yeah. get more of an exposition in the book as far as why is everyone in the Oasis. They kind of sort of like um, gloss over it in the movie, but really like you get a detailed history of what's been going on in the world. Like there's a lack of energy. There's a lack of food. Like uh, there's a huge disparity between the rich and the poor, and which I feel like they could have added that. Somehow. Yeah, exactly. Somehow. And so it, it explains like why everyone is so linked into the oasis, and uh, why it's like a, a why this contest is even more of a big deal too. The movie focused a lot more on the race, which I understand is like it's a big part of of the plot, but there were also some surrounding details around it that kind of made it more. Um, like realistic and yeah. um, more, you felt more invested as as to why like this was going on and why these characters were taking you know, these actions and their mm-hmm. their obsessions. And really, the Oasis was like just like it's an escape because like why would you want to face the shitty real world yeah. when you could like social like, commentary on escapism? And, yeah, yeah. Um, the status of the world and you'd rather kind of run away from the real issues is kind of what they're hinting at a little bit stronger in the film i'd say mm-hmm. yeah but once again i maybe we're all biased toward it because we know all the background i wonder yeah. how someone coming in completely blind would take this as yeah like would they be more interested in the world we only are interested because we know there's more to it you know but yeah. i think you get a good you, taste from if you if you look at it from the perspective of not reading the book um i think he does a really good job of giving you a taste of it you it does leave you wanting more i think just even yeah. watching it saying i want to see more of this world i want to see more of you know real and, and fake uh realities but um i definitely think it's a good recommend for anybody who's got any kind of interest in pop culture because they make i mean references as far back as the 50s um to now and if you're a a gamer too a fan of video games too like there's a lot of references Uh, a lot of gaming references for sure so uh, i definitely think it's a a film worth the watch so do you think steven spielberg was the best choice for director on something like this too i was i was a big skeptical at first when i heard but i was excited because somebody like that was signed up to the film um, but after seeing it, yeah, I think I, I didn't think that he could still make a movie like that. And honestly, I think he nailed it for what for for Spielberg and where he's been in his career since the early '90s and taking more serious tone of a film. 
I think he did a really good job adapting this for for the general audience. I agree too, and mainly because, like you said, Nabil, like Spielberg really has been out of his element a lot lately. Like he hasn't really wowed us as much like lately. Like when we reviewed one of his recent movies, and it was sort mm-hmm. of like meh. But um, it's good to see him uh, try to challenge himself more in the, in these types of adventure movies and show that hey, I still got it. And I did read an article like stating that he was uh, the number one choice. Spielberg was the number one choice because of the fact that they could get a lot of the properties needed, like all the different references and pop culture. They could get those licenses for yeah, the movie easier. because any because right. he's such a big name. Anyone else, like they're like, we probably wouldn't have been able to get like half those like references if anybody else did. It's it. just those damn those jam Japanese animes. <laughs> <they'll just laughs> they would not budge. But they but they, they see yeah. But everyone yeah, else, true. they see the name uh, Steven Spielberg. They're like, yeah, I want my shit associated with him. So um, let's move to spoilers, guys, because I want to do talk about a couple of the changes from the <laughs> books, definitely, and miss some missing cameos. But I don't want to ruin it for you, so. Uh, before we go, who would you guys recommend this to then? Um, I think, like Nabil said, anybody who's really into uh, pop culture, anyone who likes adventure films as well, um, if uh, you like any like team up movies with a group of friends, like trying to achieve a common goal, like that sort of type of movies is great. And of course, if if, if you like video games too, definitely check this movie out because I mean that's basically like what the movie's all about. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I agree, pretty much. Um, if you ever turn on a computer, <laughs> played a Commodore 64, or Atari, Nintendo, anything like that, give it a look. Yeah. Or if you know about the 80s, I guess, you know? Definitely yeah. if you know about the 80s. If you read the book, too, Which, d- definitely check it out. Did you guys notice they don't touch on the 80s as much as you thought they would? No, it's, no. it's slightly, it's very specific. References. It's a lot more 80s in the book, just so you know. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, here come the uh, spoilers. All right, so guys, any changes from the book? Now that we're in spoilers, we can talk as freely as we want. Or any changes in the movie that you didn't enjoy that you thought were maybe better in the book? Uh, definitely, Mine's Wade's like- Wade's uh his his self tautness, like his yeah. his homeschooled education that he has, and his knowledge, and the fact that he knows a lot of this stuff because he's self-made. I I like that aspect of the book a lot and how it's it's very detailed and how he's been able to keep up with all the holiday references and like really study him. It it just sort of doesn't feel that well developed in in the movie. Um and I felt that it's something that maybe really quick they could have mentioned or something. Yeah. Like just did a quick like montage of him collecting all like the holiday stuff i don't know yeah, something yeah, it's just to pay homage to the, to the story yeah uh what about you nubu you know i i there there's there's definitely some things that i wish were in the book but i think um just just i thought he could have done easily into the movie and, and made the film a little longer too was extend the challenges a bit I mean, that's my big one yeah too. the challenges were pretty good in the book like they gave a lot of detail you felt like you wanted to know how he was going to solve it and they essentially they give you the clue they do a good job i think with the first challenge in the movie they spend a lot of time in it but i think for what he was trying to do they did a good job but once he gets the key and then they go into the clue 
that pretty much becomes repetitive and and very quick for the yeah. other ones. Even at the very last one, they kind of figure out at the end, oh, this is the real clue. It still just seemed which is not technically the ending after he gets, gets the, the clue. key and yeah. goes to the room full of every system. Exactly. And then he does play adventure and then it's the Easter egg. Exactly. They kind of just tighten that. And I think that's that the only one I think they kept there. actually. All the other yeah, ones as a are whole. Yeah, everything is yeah. different. Yeah. So I really think that the original uh, trilogy or trio of, of clues could have been incorporated into the but film. And we you get why them. they didn't use it, right? Because I guess, well, Joust would have been cool, and they yeah. do kind of play on the Joust, but I mean, isn't the yeah. second one like a D&D adventure? Like, it is. That's yeah. not going to translate well. Uh, it would have been cool to see the film thing where he does war games. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool, but I mean, yeah, it was not, probably hard not, to get Yeah, that. not many people have seen war games. So it's like an yeah. like old school 80s movie. And I it, feel and like if, if they had, though, people would have been seeing war games tonight kind of oh thing. yeah i do like how they they change it to the shining though it's still sort of paying that homage cool. that was to the fact- change i liked yeah I so like you know they they're still paying homage to the whole movie thing but they're doing it with a different reference and you know different time period too because i think like the shining is like late 70s i think uh your early 80s i want to say oh okay yeah oh, it was um, timeline so yeah, for me it was just the challenges would have been kind of cooler. Yeah, because after a while I was like, oh, they made it. I guess he exactly. Just, he hit reverse and he got out of the goddamn thing, right? And then um, I can't believe they didn't do the third one though, where they got to bring back the sword. Yeah, that would have been, nice. that been kind of cool. It just seems like shit. We just showed up at the fortress and this is and it. That was it. Yeah. I was like, okay. I, I will. I will say that one of my big disappointments for the overall story arc of uh, Parzival is at near. It's kind of at the end of the second act, beginning of the third act. Where um, in the book, he has to hide away after, you know, his, uh, again, this is a spoiler section, the stacks get hit, um, and he has to go hide away, and he's essentially isolating himself, but he's building himself up. He's learning about more about what the clue could be. He's getting stronger. He's like a scrawny little kid. No, he's fat. He's yeah, fat he's fat right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, it's been a while since he loses weight. And so, he, but he gets fit. He's getting fitter, and he's yeah. trying to. And that's when himself. he gets his uh, high end rig stuff too. Yeah. Because, because he starts to stuff. he starts to work, and he's he's picking up advertisements yeah. too in the book because everyone. Out. Yeah. Because yeah. he's the first they, one to get the. They key. sort of glossed over the uh, his inf- like his fame in in the movie too, and like they just sent they just. Mention they kind of show it at the party bit. where yeah. like he shows up time. and it's like the paparazzi. Yeah, but no, they don't. They don't expand on that. Yeah. And I think that was a good arc to probably try to add him. But I, I mean, I get it makes what they were doing, sense though that, that they, they get rid it. of his part where he infiltrates IOI and yeah. give. They gave it basically to Ar- Artemis. Which instead. was good story arc for her versus having it to be him going after you know a woman who oh I'm not pretty enough because of my scar you know kind of thing I'm kind of slightly large but but shows that she's much more than that yeah of course and the issue though with that is that it makes Parcival once again or Wade just more more or less the most like least interesting character in this movie um, and I like that twist where you realize how he's getting the wall down. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. put fucking work into that. But I, I get it. The movie's what hour and two hours long. Just about. So when it, yeah. they can't include like, and then seven months later, <laughs> you know what I mean? They make it like it's like he finds us all within a week. Other than that, the only other change that I thought was not bad actually was the reveal that um, Ogden Morrow, played by Simon Pegg, is actually the curator. And yeah, he's that was the one that gives him the one. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I still would have liked to see the Pac-Man part where he gets the coins, mm, but once again, that is such a sub-story that, yeah. like, because they didn't yeah. go with that path, 
Because that's on his way to get the second key. He thinks mm-hmm. that's the way to get the second key. And it's like, I got a quarter instead. And I can't mm-hmm. remove it from my items list. And then the little payoff, I was like, that's kind of cool, I guess. That was good. I think I think what was cool about it, it was that it was a twist. Because I was kind of just thinking, like, oh, they're just going to give a key, a coin, and forget about it. And then He's magically like, bring it up at the end. I was like, oh, but, thanks. But, you know, it, it, in the book, uh, Ogden Morrow, like, it's a twist at the end of, or near the end of the book that he's like, hey, I'm going to help you guys come to my yeah. house in, I think, like, Oregon or whatever, and I'll yeah. help you guys out. It was a nice twist to kind of see that he was almost technically helping them in the movie as well because he oh, was the was true, actually, you know, yeah. That is true. So I kind of like that, that instead of doing it for the end, it's almost throughout the movie, he's kind of, like, in the background helping them out. And I, yeah. I started, like, I thought about that, and I was like, oh, okay, that's a clever way to do it for a movie. And it saves time too. Yeah, that's true. And um, I, I guess expanding Irock as a character actually helped a little bit. Helped this one out. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually more likable in the movie than he was in the book. Oh, and in the book, you only really hear from him in the beginning, and then he betrays them in a way by revealing the location of the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I do also wish that uh, Spielberg would have uh, the guts to kill one of the characters, like in the book. It would have. Yeah. I don't know if it would have worked for the theme of this one. For though, what he was trying to do, I I did. Near the I end, kind of realized, yeah, I was like, when he's gonna die? When he's gonna die? Never so dies. Daito, right? Taito yeah. dies. Yeah, but uh, but like you said, I mean, the leader of the IOI or one hundred ones, Sorrento. Oh. Sorrento. Sorrento. I'm sorry, um, Sorrento. Um, you know, obviously killed Daito in the in the book, but they you can see at the end, redeeming yeah, this they, right? they kind of gave him like he would have, but he saw the he spirit. saw that he lost. He saw the spirit in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, he saw like, he lost, and he was like, "Okay, well, you got me. You know yeah. what else am I gonna do?" Yeah, true. Um, any missing cameos that you guys wish was in there, or items, or vehicles from the novel? Uh, I I'll tell you right now, I'm so fucking happy that Mecha Godzilla was in it. I know that. Was I because cool. I, I was like, "They're are they not gonna do Mecha Godzilla? Is Mecha Gundam be- versus a Mecha Godzilla? The Me- Dude, the Gundam was so sick. Yeah, I was like, that was pretty this is yeah, that was fucking awesome. Um, it would have um, been cool to see the Ultraman one though, but." The, oh yeah the guys that own that said no yeah, yeah. i like I, I don't know why but every time i saw um a uh a mark five halo uh that's pretty yeah, cool, right? yeah i was like a spartan i was it's like funny because remember cool. he produced the halo series yeah. stuff so that's why he was able to get that so easily i was easily. like, that's, I was so like cool. that's pretty cool i like the uh the t-rex cameo i know some people hated on it from what no, i read cool. but um i liked it i was like that's fucking awesome but so you guys weren't missing out. I, no. I wish they showed the X-wing too. That would be cool. The X-wing uh, would have yeah. been cool, but I, I'm not surprised that it. you couldn't get a Star Wars reference inside. Yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah, I do like the mention of the Millennium Falcon, and I yeah, do like that, do that. If you notice, Parsifal, mm-hmm. he was wearing his uh, his gun holster like Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Yep, they yeah. have that. He almost um, had like a Han Solo look with his vest too. His vest. You guys like that they looked weird. Yeah, I actually kind of. At first, I wasn't sure, but it, as I it didn't work it, for me. No, I was like, it, I didn't like it. Kinda I weird. yeah, I kind of two two things. Also, I I agree with James. I wish they would have. You could have told it was CG, but still made it a little more realistic, less cartoonish. And I also wish that uh, H's character was wasn't more like spoiled, the book. Or, or spoiled in the fucking trailer. Yeah, yeah, Pretty nice too. Yep, that's true. Just to let well spoiler section here, but I mean. It's kind of a mystery throughout that entire novel until the last end, third yeah. of the book. Yeah. And this one, they're just showing you right off the bat, like, this is him slash her. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Overall, though, I had a lot of fun with this one. I highly recommend checking it out. So do I. Go check it out. It's in theaters right now. All right, guys. So that is the end of podcast number 20. 
Uh, once again, everybody, thank you for listening to us. Uh, keep the feedback, response, reviews coming. Share our pod to everybody you know. That'd be awesome. Uh, Marco, how do they hit us up on the Facebook and Twitter? Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviepalspod. Also on Twitter at moviepalspod. Please share, retweet, or uh, subscribe to us if you haven't already. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Um, if you have any recommendations for any movies or TV shows, uh, please let us know. We're more than open to listen to you. And again, thank you to everyone who has been listening to us. We really appreciate the support. We appreciate the feedback that we do get. And keep on listening. Yeah, and remember to go ahead and share with us on Twitter or on Facebook uh, your top three favorite films from this week's topic um, that was adapted from a movie, a novel. Um, and let us know your thoughts on that to see if we match up or let us know um, how you felt about our picks. And make sure to tune into our next pod where we will be reviewing a film that was suggested to us by a viewer. So we're going to keep it a mystery. Make sure you tune in. Until then, this is James, Marco, and Abil. Have a good one. See you.